Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about the things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm KW Taylor. This week, we are discussing the new Star Wars series Andor and the Netflix limited series The Watcher. Woohoo! <laughs> so, I have not been watching Andor. I don't know very much about it, but I know you've been really digging it. So, tell us all about it. Yeah, I would love to. So, this started, I think, back in September. And the day this airs, there will be nine episodes out out of 12. But I actually only started it a couple weeks ago. I waited until six episodes were out. And then I was like, let me see if I like it. And then I watched all six in one night. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I was just like, I didn't want to stop. It was so good. So have you seen Rogue One? Yes. Okay. So this follows Cassian Andor, who is in Rogue One. And if Star Wars fans are listening to this, then you know that Rogue One is the prequel to A New Hope. <laughs> and Cassian Andor is part of the rebellion, and he folds Jin into it, and they steal the Death Star plans. And Andor, the series, is a prequel to that. So it's prequel to a prequel. <laughs> <laughs> So it takes place, like, okay, so give me the, (laughs) what two movies does it take place between? It takes place between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. Okay, gotcha. It takes place five years before A New Hope, I think. Okay, but right before Rogue One. Yes. Well, a couple years, I think, before Rogue One. A couple years. Yeah, because Rogue One takes place, like, right before A New Hope. Right. Okay, so it is before. Okay, gotcha. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the disney star wars canon is like wait what takes place when what yeah what? <laughs> okay yeah so this is about cassie Andor, like a few years before he gets into the rebellion and or like his journey into the rebellion mm-hmm. and cassian is played by diego luna who is fantastic i'm excited that he's back in the star wars universe this is really interesting because it's I mean, it's set during the height of the Empire, and the Rebellion has gotten going, but it's not really on its feet yet, so it's it's in its infancy. Mm. So we're seeing that sort of take place in real time, which is really interesting. So there are 12 episodes. The first three, I don't know if this will continue throughout the season, but the first three are sort of one arc, and the second three are sort of one arc. So I'm waiting to see if that continues. But I think my advice is to watch the first three episodes, maybe not together, but in pretty quick succession. So you can kind of get the the sense of where it's going. Okay. But Cassian lives on a planet called Ferex or a planet i don't know everything's confusing (laughs) (laughs) um i'm not great with the details in star wars (laughs) but he's just kind of like living his life he's yeah he feels like he doesn't have a lot of purpose like like you just don't know what he's doing with his life you know Mm -hmm. and he is trying to find his missing sister and you see some flashbacks 
to oh man the names <laughs> i see some flashbacks to another planet where he and his sister grew up and they're like in this group of kids who are sort of fending for themselves so you don't really know what the issue is there but the weird well the interesting thing about those scenes and there are a few of them they are in a different language like a made-up star wars language but they're not subtitled so like oh yeah you can sort of figure out what's going on but it's it it leaves you with this strange like outside feeling you're on the outside looking in oh the plan is called canary so that's where they grew up (laughs) okay (laughs) so you get the sense that like this certain boy named Cassa, it becomes Cassian later, and then he has a sister on Canari. But then in the present, he's looking for his sister. So you don't know exactly what happened there. But in his search, he's sort of antagonized by two officers, and he accidentally kills one, and then he... (laughs) And then he purposefully kills the other one. (laughs) And I'm just like, oh, this man is so messy. I love him. (laughs) And I think it's really interesting because even in Rogue One, he killed someone. And you're like, immediately you're like, this is not a really typical Star Wars protagonist, right? Yeah. Which I think is very different and interesting. And I like it. Mm -hmm. So he kills these two people and flees back to Ferrix, where he's living with his adoptive mother, Marva, played by Fiona Shaw, who is fantastic. I love her. <laughs> Although they make her look a lot older than I think she is in real life. <laughs> oh. Because she's supposed to be, like, a little bit sickly, um, like she hurt her leg. And I think there's a there's a big push and pull of, like, at one point, Cassian wants to leave the planet, and she's just like, no, I want to stay here. So I think that's part of part of why they made her look older. Mm. So he's got these friends on Ferrix. He's got a droid, B2EMO, <laughs> who, <laughs> who is voiced by Dave Chapman. And I don't know, he's just really cute. He's got like this little stutter sometimes when he talks. Aww. Yeah, it's cute. B2EMO takes care of his mom a lot, so he'll be like, Cassian, we need to turn on the heat, because Marva didn't turn it on, and things like that. (laughs) It's cute. I love this dedication to always including a cute droid. (laughs) (laughs) So he's got some friends. Bix Colleen is played by Adria Arjona. Brasso is played by Joplin Sibtain. And Tim is played by James McArdle. So he's got some friends, but maybe not all of them are, like, super into him. Oh, <laughs> Because he's sometimes, like, not a great friend. Mm. And Tim is Bix's boyfriend, and Bix and Cassian sort of had a thing. So Tim is Tim doesn't love Cassian very much. Mm. And this guy, Cyril, I think is his name. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> yeah. Cyril... Uh, works for the Empire, and he's played by Kyle Soler. And he was working on the planet where the two officers were killed. And he is like, this is really bad. Officers were killed, even though they're off duty. So, like, 
he makes it his mission to find out who did it. But the a higher up sort of want to sweep it under the rug. So he personally like goes after Andor because he figures out Cassian was the one who did it. And the Empire puts out a, a call for this dude from Canari. And only a few people know that Cassian is originally from Canari. And one of them alerts Cyril and the, the Empire. So Cassian sort of has to go on the run. And then he gets... He gets mixed up with Luthen. He's played by Stellan Skarsgård. And Luthen is part of the rebellion. So he enlists Cassian to be on this team where they're going to do this big heist against the Empire. They're going to steal a bunch of credits from their payroll. And that's sort of the second arc, the episode four to six arc, is them trying to get this, steal this money. And Luthen is really interesting because, like, he presents one face to Cassian and the rebels, Mm -hmm. and then he'll, like, go back to Coruscant, and he puts on this wig, and he puts on, like, fancy clothes, and he's, he's, like, this antique stealer. What? And, like, it's it's sort of a cover where he gets to talk to a lot of, like, wealthy people. But he's basically, he's trying to fund the rebellion, which is why they're going to steal all this money. Gotcha. And that's where Mon Mothma comes in, and she's pretty cool. She's played by Genevieve O'Reilly. And you see the other side of the rebellion, which is, like, the political side. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to get stuff done in the Senate. But nothing is really happening because of politics and and the emperor and all this stuff. So she starts to realize that, like, they've got to work outside of politics as well. I I think it's just really cool that you see both sides of the coin there. You see, like, the political side and, okay, we need funding for this. But then you see, like, the nitty gritty side of actually we have to sometimes do bad things in order to get this off the ground and stuff you know Mm -hmm. so i don't want to give like much more about the plot because you would be bored because i don't talk about the plot very (laughs) very well but a couple of the other characters that i really like well first of all i really like bix i think she's really interesting and i'm i'm kind of curious to see where her her storyline takes her and the thing about Ferrix and staying on Ferrix, even though even after Cassian leaves is um, you get to see the crackdown of the empire because they know that Cassian was there and they're trying to like smoke him out. So you see a lot of the bad stuff that they do in order to try to get him. Denise Gao plays Dedra Miro who is a supervisor for the Imperial Security Bureau. And a few episodes in, she gets assigned to the Ferrix sector. So she ends up being like the head of the hunt for Cassian. And she's really good. She's very fun to hate. (laughs) (laughs) Faye Marseille plays Vel, who's one of the rebels. And she's the one who's leading the... uh, the heist. Varada Sethu plays Sinta, who's another 
rebel. I'm trying to look for the other rebels. Alex Lothar plays Karis. There are a few others, but the all the rebels are really good. The the four to six arc is really interesting and like I was really sucked in. I was like, what's gonna happen? I gotta watch all of these in a row. <laughs> <laughs> and then a couple other shout outs. Alistair McKenzie plays Perrin Firtha, who's Mon Mothma's husband, and he's like a terrible person. I hate him so much. <laughs> he's just like he's really obsessed with appearances and like he's not very nice to Mon. And they have a like a teenage daughter who is kind of spoiled, and it's just it's just an interesting dynamic to see, especially like juxtaposed against how how like influential she is in the Senate world, and she comes home and like her family doesn't like her, and it's just really just really <laughs> a choice. It was a choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, uh, Andy Circus makes an appearance. Oh. oh, and Forrest Whitaker comes back as Saw Guerrera for a little bit. Mm. So, uh, yeah, there's there's sort of a lot going on. <laughs> I don't want to tell you stuff that happens in episodes seven and eight because things take a turn and you're just like, how is this going to work out? Mm-hmm. You know, like, how is he going to go from what he is now to the pretty confident rebel you see in rogue one Mm. so i think it's just really interesting to see his journey i like diego luna a lot i like a lot Mm. of the characters and the actors and yeah i just i just love having star wars back in my life and (laughs) this is very this is probably one of the darkest star wars things Mm. because of the time it takes place in and and the subject matter I think because of that, it also ends up being actually really timely and mm. relevant. So I suggest it, but I don't know how deep in the Star Wars you are. <laughs> <laughs> I am not as deep in as you are. It does sound good, though, and it sounds very, yeah. It's the If, if it wasn't a Star Wars show, I would maybe watch it. <laughs> I Not that I'm not going to watch it, because I... I might, but yeah, I'm not quite as far in as you are. <laughs> yeah, the, I would I would suggest mm-hmm. it's going to be over in a couple weeks, so I would wait okay. until all the episodes are out. Okay. And then I would watch three episodes at a time, like m- like movies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And see how you feel. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. I do, yeah, I like this idea of little clumps of arcs. That's kind of a different way of doing a series so cool yeah. awesome yeah. it does sound good it does sound good trust me so. <laughs> I, be- I believe you there's there's a lot to watch you know yeah there's a lot i mean like yeah there's a lot of content and it's yeah only so much time i totally get it <laughs> speaking of you have been watching the watcher so tell mm-hmm. us about that yeah, and this is maybe another one where I don't know. <laughs> I've been already telling you a little bit about it, and uh, I don't know if this is up your alley. Okay. I did deliberately watch this pretty quickly, like kind of one episode every night or every other night or so um, to get it done. I was hoping to get it done in time for Halloween, but did not quite make it in time for this to air. Yeah. But uh, it's still, I think, a good watch for this time of year. It does have that autumnal feel to it. 
And I was very interested in this show because I read the long form article. So basically, this is based on a true story. It was based on this long form article from 2018 that was published in New York Magazine's The Cut and uh, written by Reeves Wiedemann. And it is based on this actual case. But I'm not going to talk about the actual case. I'm just going to focus on this very, very fictionalized version of it that was okay. in the Netflix series. So if you're interested in the real case, you can seek out the the original article, which I think was, I don't know the title of it, but if you Google Reeves Wiedemann, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N, The Watcher, you'll be able to find it. Okay. So... This was uh, created by Ryan Murphy and Ian Brennan, and Ryan Murphy, of course, created Glee and American Horror Story and a lot of other very high camp things. Not that everything he's done is campy, but um, he does have that kind of sensibility, but he does have some experience with horror. And I would say this is not quite horror. It's more of a mystery thriller, but there is some comedic tone to it, some of which seems intentional and some of which seems... (laughs) maybe not fully intentional. Okay. <laughs> or it's it's in that in-between space where you're questioning whether it was intentionally funny or not. And it probably is, but it's played straight. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of that. So basically what the setup is, um, there's a married couple, Nora and Dean, played by Naomi Watts and Bobby Cannaval, And they are from New York City. And they are getting kind of like disillusioned by living in the city and you can't like make your money stretch as much with your living and stuff. So they find this really beautiful home in Westfield, New Jersey, and they go ahead and buy it, even though it's kind of a stretch for them to do that. It's a little bit more pricey than they can comfortably afford. They technically do get it, but it's, it's taken out like one of their IRAs and stuff. And it's just, you know, it's not a good idea. So they buy it, and it's also kind of big for their family. They do have two teenage kids, um, Ellie and Carter, but it's like, it's enormous. It's an estate, and he's an attorney, I think, and she's a an artist and makes like pottery. And I just still feel like even though they've got these two kids, it's not that enormous of a family for this level of house, because the house, especially from the outside, just looks absolutely enormous they've got so much yard and a big pool and it's just like all right i don't know whatever does your does your pottery studio really need that much room uh probably not and almost immediately when they move in they start getting these weird letters from a stalker who signs the letters the watcher and the letters imply that this person is watching the house and knows pretty much everything about the family, all the names of of them and their kids' names, and they have kids, and they seem to have been inside the house many times, and there's this implication that the watcher is from a long line of people, a family who have been tasked with watching this house. Oh, man. Yeah. And so, obviously, the parents are not happy about (laughs) this, and they go to the cops, and I mean... I don't know very much about the real Westfield, New Jersey, but in the show, it seems like a very upscale suburban community where there's like pretty much no crime. And so they meet with this detective Chamberlain played by veteran character actor Christopher McDonald. And you'll hear me say that repeatedly because the show is full of veteran character (laughs) actors, which is delightful. It's your favorite. It's my favorite. And he is like, 
And Christopher McDonald is mostly like plays the jerky guy in 80s comedy. So he's very <laughs> like the older version of that now is like, eh, it's probably just for kicks. Don't freak out. We're not really going <laughs> to investigate this. And Nora and Dean and Dean is extremely intense of a person. Like he's very high strung and very reactionary and very like, I don't know. Like like Bobby Cannavale is a very big presence physically and yeah. and has a lot of really dynamic facial expressions. So he's just playing it to the absolute hilt of like, I can't believe you're not going to do anything, blah, blah. And it's like, you're still alive. So whatever. Don't worry about it. Come talk to us when you're dead. So Nora and Dean hire a local kid, Dakota, played by Henry Hunter Hall, who has a very little startup company of security system. And for a relatively low price, he's willing to like give them the state-of-the-art security with a bunch of cameras and motion detectors and all this. And that's going to make them feel better. So, But it takes him a while to get it all set up because he's like one-man operation. Uh-huh. So they're working on that. And meanwhile, also, um, Nora is becoming friends with their realtor, who is a woman that she knew from college, Karen Calhoun, who's played by veteran character actor Jennifer Coolidge. <laughs> nice. And Jennifer Coolidge is always delightful. <laughs> and seeing Jennifer Coolidge, like, chewing the scenery, wearing <laughs> fabulous outfits, and just being ridiculous is awesome. Excellent. So Nora confides in Karen that they're getting these weird letters and like, I don't know what to do, blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, Karen is trying to get Nora to join the country club and get really involved in the community. But then she's also like, well, you know, if you are really feeling stressed out, I shouldn't do my impression. <laughs> she's got that very distinctive voice. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> like if you're getting really stressed out about this, you know, why don't you sell or let me buy your house and you can make a little bit of a profit, but not very much. And I'll... Like, I'll have an LLC, purchase it, and then I can flip it. And, you know, if you want to get out, get out. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And Nora's like, oh, I don't know that we want to feel so driven out of town. And it's like a big thing. So Karen is being very, like, in it for herself, clearly. But also, at the, in the beginning, she is trying to kind of be a good friend. But also, you know, you can tell I wouldn't mind buying your house. Yeah. So there's a little bit of like, hmm, maybe she's the watcher. Mm. There's also in the neighborhood this couple named Mitch and Mo, played by veteran character actors Richard Kind and the amazing Margot Martindale. <laughs> and they are weird and they just sit they just sit in their yard on these chaise lounges and they watch the house. And so of course Dean's like notices this and is like okay, what, what's this all about? And at first they introduce themselves and they act really friendly and stuff. And then later, like, you'll see when they're not interacting with the couple, their expressions change and they get all weird and stuff. And so you're like, hmm, hmm, hmm. <laughs> and then I mean, there's also this other pair of neighbors, Pearl and Jasper Winslow, played by Mia Farrow and Terry Kinney, and they're brother and sister, but they're kind of like, not quite fully elderly, but they're older and they are weird. Jasper <laughs> has some kind of like mental illness. He's kind of only partially verbal. He seems a little out of it. He's always wearing overalls and looks very intimidating. He's got a shaved head and has a very like grumpy expression. And Pearl, Mia Farrow is like a very delicate person, but here she's wearing these weird glasses and she's got braided pigtails which on you know a woman in her 70s is not 
that uncreepy of a look. <laughs> and she's very sickly sweet, but and and very soft spoken, but you can tell that she's very, very particular. Hmm. And the two of them together, like, I don't know, elderly siblings living together is creepy to me. And so of course <laughs> they're like, Oh, it's wow. weird. I don't know. I mean I, mean, I, I feel like that's a normal thing, but okay. But for this in particular, I, I see They're that making be, them yeah. seem, yes, they make them seem extremely creepy. <laughs> so you're just kind of like, nobody knows who. There's all these different suspects, basically. You might even think that Detective Chamberlain might be involved in some of this. And then, so Dean decides to hire a private investigator. So he finds this woman, Theodora Birch played by Noma Dumas-Wenny, and she's amazing. And she apparently, this character used to be a jazz singer and then got cancer and also decided to dabble in detective work. And she's <laughs> extremely elegant and has a British accent and stuff and is just kind of mysterious and delightful. And But she seems to be legit helpful. And of course, Dean, she helps Dean set up like, you know, the conspiracy bulletin boards in his <laughs> attic and they've got the strings and all the stuff and so they're working the, through this and so yeah you just kind of like every episode they sort of focus on a different potential suspect early on theodora hooks dean up with this guy andrew pierce played by seth gable from fringe who andrew and his wife used to own the house okay. a few owners prior to the Brannocks. And he tells a very harrowing story and it's very creepy. Mm. There's also this possible multiple homicide that happened in the house in the 90s, oh, which is very, very creepy. I will say, I will warn, and I've already warned you about this, but I'll warn our listeners that there are two extremely upsetting animal deaths, one in the first episode and one in the last episode. So be prepared. They're not shown in a very gruesome way. They're absolutely not. But if that is something that bothers you, just, you know, and, and we've discussed that that is such a cheap, not great. And honestly, that was one of the things that kept me from loving this. Yeah. And I'll get into some other things that I found a little bit not great about it. But that was something that I was like, man, that's not necessary. Yeah. And that didn't happen in the real case. And it's just like, they're, oh. they're Yeah. They're they're highly fictionalizing this. There's there's almost no resemblance beyond some surface level things to the real case, but that did not happen. So just be aware. But again, it's not shown in a super gruesome, gratuitous way. It's just something that happens. So thank you. You're welcome. But anyway, the letters are increasingly upsetting. There's there's reference to the children being young blood oh. for the house, and there's statements in the letters about are you going to let them play in the basement when you're upstairs? It's hard to hear them scream. So it's not that these are just, I'm watching you. It's like really legitimately upsetting. The letters that Andrew says he got were equally pretty creepy and upsetting. And he has suspicions that there's actually some sort of quasi supernatural behavior going on in the neighborhood. So there is a question of whether this has more of a horror or a cult kind of origin or people who think they are. I mean, it's, it's hard to know early on what's going on. So it is spooky. There's twists and turns. It's not like there's no, well, there are a couple of jump scares, but it's the horror is very 
light, I would say. It's much more of a mystery. And some other things I did like, like I said, the campy nature of it, the performances, the the cast is amazing. And, you know, I think it was, for the most part, well-written. And the tone is an interesting mix of, of genres and things. And it does leave you like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Who is this? Blah, blah, blah. And there's so many pretty compelling suspects, as well as other theories that, you know, could be anything from the couple doing it to themselves or one of their kids doing it or a combination of people. So there's a lot of interesting ways that it could go. And there's there's interesting motifs that are things you can make fun of, but not in a way that distracts from. Like Nora Nora's wardrobe is bananas. <laughs> Naomi Naomi Watts has very, very light blonde hair and she's very pale. And she's always wearing throughout this whole show, she wears Everything she wears is either white, cream, or very light gray, or some combination thereof. So she just looks like this little beige thing, and everything's very flowy in that kind of like New England Diane Keaton sort of yeah. like <laughs> way. So she's she looks like she's in some like middle age rom com thing, you know, by Nora Ephron or something. And so it's almost like she's in this whole separate movie. The fact that she's a a potter, sculptor, artist is also very on brand for that kind of thing. And she also has these crazy reading glasses that she wears sometimes that are like, not normal. <laughs> like they don't go with the rest of her thing. Like they're giant black plastic Buddy Holly glasses, but even more heavy and weird. And like, they're just bananas. And they look insane on her. So they're like a whole extra character practically. Okay. Wow. So there's fun things like that. And Dean is just, like I said, he's off the hook. He gets so angry and crazy and weird. And and so many times he would fly off the handle and I would be like, don't be weird. Don't be weird. I would like say out loud, don't be weird. Don't do that. Don't talk to that person. Don't yell at that person. You're making this worse. You're making this worse. So if you want to see a very, like, a person with no impulse control, that is his character. So that can be funny. Margot Martindale is obviously great. Jennifer Coolidge, a national treasure. And <laughs> Mia, Mia Farrow is just so leaning into this delicate, wispy, creepy woman. And she's fantastic. So all of that is great. Seth Gable is great. Noma is great as Theodora. It's it's just like everything. Okay. And so some of the bad things, in addition to the animal deaths, which was not great, there is... People have complained about the ending, and I'll, I'll not say more. Okay. Just know that people have complained about the ending. I didn't super love the ending myself. Okay. So that is, you know, you're going to kind of in, have this great little ride and enjoy it and have it feel so silly and interesting and then be probably disappointed. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. So those are the things I didn't love. <sighs> I do wish that it had ended differently. Okay. But it's only seven episodes. There's no indication that this is going to get a second season. It doesn't seem like it needs a second season. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good, you know, contained miniseries. Unless they wanted to do something like what what Murphy started doing with American Horror Story early on, where you keep the title and have it be an anthology thing and change the setting and all the characters and stuff and not connect it to the previous season. Yeah. That is a possibility. I don't know that that would be, I don't know. I, I can, I could go either way on that. Okay. But I do think it's 
It's a fun watch. It's the kind of thing you do kind of have to pay attention to because there's a lot of little, little details and clues and stuff. Okay. And so you can't just sort of multitask with it. But, you know, it's it's silly. It's not going to win any awards probably. But, you know, if you are a Ryan Murphy completist and you enjoy these <laughs> actors, I think it is decently fun. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's a lot. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. no. That's okay. I... Yeah, it sounds like the sort of thing that I would enjoy watching, but I'm just scared off by the disappointing ending. That's all. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I think if you are I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to spoil you. So, <laughs> it's not like I was ragey about the ending. I really okay. wasn't. Yeah. So, just go into knowing it's maybe not going to be that episode is not necessarily the strongest. So, Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I will keep that in mind. Okay. I'm glad you cool. had a good time though. I did. I did have a good time with it. Yeah. <laughs> and as a wrap up, let's so remind us where we can watch Andor. Where is that available? Yes, I never said, but it is available on Disney Plus. Okay, and the Watcher is streaming on Netflix. And next week we'll be talking about some more great pop culture stuff. So be sure to join us then. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner, and you can find me on Twitter at KW Taylor Writer. And you can find the show on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. You can also find our website at PositivelyPopCulture.com. From there, you can find the link to our merch store, as well as our email, which is PositivelyPopCulture at gmail.com. And please, if you're enjoying the show, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy and safe. And join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. <laughs>